you would, open your Bibles with me to Psalm 72. Psalm 72. We are preparing ourselves for the time of year where we focus even more so uh, and continue to focus our attention to the arrival of Jesus in a manger. And this morning, we're going to be looking from Psalm 72 at this righteous, just king. And in this beautiful picture that we have from Psalm 72, which appears to be David speaking, first of all, about his own son Solomon, but then also the promise that this has for us in the Messiah who would come. And that Messiah's name is Jesus. And in Psalm 72, in the first four verses, we find this wonderful, beautiful picture of the righteous king. So I'm going to ask you, uh, with your copy of God's Word, if you'll stand with me one more time out of honor for God's Word as we read it, and then let's study for a little bit. Psalm 72, verse 1. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. Would you pray with me, Heavenly Father? I ask you to take these words and to apply them to our hearts by the work of your spirit. And Father, I ask you that you would serve and uh, Father, that you would feed the spiritual nourishment we need to us by your word. And Father, I pray that it will stir up in us affections for you and a greater worship of you. And so Father, do that today. I pray that people will see Jesus this morning and that they might give him praise. So, Father, help us to give you worship for your justice and your righteousness. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There are four things I want to share with you from this passage this morning. And first of all, I want to preface it by saying, I don't think that I need to lay the groundwork for the truth that people in general desire justice. I don't think you necessarily need to be a Christian to desire justice. I just believe your definition may be different. But everyone desires justice in some form or fashion. Whether it's for themselves or someone else they feel has been wrong. You know how I know that? Because I have a TV. And when I turn on my television, anywhere from the hours of 10 o'clock in the morning till 5 or 6 o'clock in the evening, I can guarantee you I can find a show with some judge sitting on a bench dispensing justice to somebody. Now, I'll be honest with you, it's the most ridiculous stuff I've ever heard. But what it tells me is that people have a desire 
for justice. Otherwise, why are those courtroom shows so appealing? Why do you love CSI? Why do you love, some of you secretly watch, all right? Some of you secretly watch. Some of you, is Law and Order even on anymore? Just shows you how up I am on my courtroom shows. Is it? Law and Order is still on. See, there is an immense desire, I believe planted by God in our hearts for justice and for rightness. That someone would make bad things right and someone would make guilty people pay for what they've done. Now, we like to think of ourselves as the innocent people. But in the end, we desire justice and righteousness be doled out at least for our benefit. And so in Psalm 72, when, when the psalmist is writing and speaking of the justice of God, I believe he's appealing to something that we all would cling to. And I want to note this morning this immense connection that exists between justice and righteousness. Notice in verses 1 through 4, if you had a highlighter or a pencil or a pen, if you were to go through and circle the words justice in these first four verses, you would find it in verse 1. You would find it again in verse 2, and I think you would find a version of it in verse 4, that he would defend the cause of the poor. And then if you were to take that same highlighter or pencil or pen and go back through and circle all the occasions of righteousness in just these first four verses, you would find three occasions in four verses where righteousness is alluded to. So justice and righteousness are connected together and they are the foundation to the promise of God to provide a king for his people who would lead the people in justice and righteousness. And I want to walk you through why this matters, why it should matter to you this morning. In Psalm 72 verse 1, I first want to show you from God's word that God is just and must give justice. Notice in verse 1, the psalmist writes and says, Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. Now the immediate context of these verses seems to be David speaking about God and, 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 and wanting God to give his son Solomon great justice and righteousness. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. Well, what does this verse highlight for us? Justice does not originate with us. Okay. Justice does not originate with us. Because left to ourselves, we are the very definition of unjust. I'm thankful that some people in the room are honest enough to say it. We want things to go our way and according to our design, what we think is justice, we want to have happen. Now, the justice we want, I think we could say pretty definitively, is not always the justice God wants. So, when you cut me off on 240, I, there's a different version of justice I have than what God may have. Although I pray he's on my side. But I want you to notice 
that I am not the definer of justice, nor does it originate with me. God is just, and if we're going to have justice of any kind, God has to give it. I believe David is praying, God, please give my son, the king, justice. Doesn't originate with Solomon. It didn't originate with David. It didn't originate with Moses. It didn't even originate with Abraham. Justice originates with God. Why? Because God is just. And if we're going to have justice of any kind, it must come from his hand. And if you don't believe me, allow me to point you to a few verses. You notice I read this morning from Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. And in Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, we saw that God was described as a God who was upright, a God who was just. Psalm 32, verse 4, uh, uh, sorry, Deuteronomy 32, 4, uh, Moses said the rock, meaning God, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. That is three words that describe God as just, and he brings justice. Somebody else turn to Isaiah 45, verse 19. Isaiah 45. Someone turn there. Isaiah 45, verse 19, and read it for me when you get there. Isaiah 45, verse 19. It's going to remind you of Bible drill. Isaiah 45, verse 19. Anybody got it? Go ahead, Tony. The Lord declares what is righteous. He speaks what is right. That means God is just. He is right. Righteousness and justice are used together because they are together whenever you see them in the scriptures. Righteousness and justice. What is righteousness? What is righteousness? If you had to define for your coworker what righteousness is, what would you say to them? Don't say call my pastor. Doing the right thing according to God. What God said is right. It's rightness before God. When you do something that is right before God, that is righteous. Justice means exercising that which is just or right. So righteousness and justice go together because they're speaking about that same character of God where he is always right, he is always bringing rightness about, and one day he promises that he will bring ultimate justice in every way. So this God is the only reason that we today can have any righteousness or any justice at all in this world. It must come from him. Why? Because he is just and he is righteous. Listen, we can fight for rightness all we want. We can fight for justice, but if we are not relying on God to bring it about, we're missing the whole point. You can pass all the laws you want, but only God can bring true justice and rightness. And we have to remember, the psalmist is saying that. God provide justice to the king. That leads me to number two. We see that God actually provides a righteous or just king for his people. 
God is providing a king for his people who will reflect and demonstrate his righteousness and justice to the people as he leads them. Right? So God provides a king who will display righteousness and justice. That's a gift of God. Right? Because we said there's not going to be any justice here in this world unless God gives it. Well, guess how God gives it? In this context, he gives it through a king who is going to display righteousness and justice to the people. He's going to rightly lead the people of God in truth and in justice. That's the intent of God, to provide that to his people because left to ourselves, we will not do it. So praise God for his grace in supplying that. Notice what he says in verse 2. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Can I point out an important fact in these, in this verse? Do you notice the pronouns used? What are they? May he judge who? Your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. See, the reflection in this verse is that God provides a king to lead his people and don't lose sight of the fact that they are his people. The king who God gives to reside over his people, especially Solomon, I believe, in this context, it was first with David and now with Solomon, this king is to lead and to bring justice to God's people. Because they ultimately belong to him. And God, in his grace and mercy, supplies the king that they so desperately need. So, number one, God is just and he must give justice. Number two, God provides a righteous and just king for his people. But notice, thirdly, what the result of that is to be. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. See, this is a focus on the fact that there are there is a desperate need for righteousness and justice with regards to God's people and to the poor and and again in verse 3 for the people and this righteousness is going to be provided by God through his king to care for his people as only God can. And the result of that is prosperity in verse 3 for the people, and notice again, in righteousness, in doing right, in, in bringing justice. Guess what the effect is of the king who brings righteousness and justice to the people of God? It is prosperity. It's another word for peace. And notice that it is the mountains and the hills that bear prosperity for the people. This overwhelming picture of the comprehensive grace of God in providing justice and righteousness to his people. And why is it necessary? Because there are unjust, unrighteous people who seek to afflict the people of God. And God will provide the king necessary. And that king is to rule for the benefit of the weak and the exploited of the people who are poor. And as we see in verse 4, needy. See, this is who we are and this is why we desperately need God to act is because we're the poor, we're the needy, we're in need of God's righteous justice and we cannot get it on our own but God lovingly provides it. Not only did he provide it for Israel in the day when this is written, but he also provides it for us today as his people. 
And the king who rules with righteousness and justice will provide the ground for prosperity, for peace, a wholeness that includes this great gift of God. And so God is just and he must give justice. God provides a righteous and just king for his people. A righteous king brings peace to God's people, brings prosperity to him. And then number four, the righteous king will deliver his people. See, ultimately, there's a greater need here than just simply being poor or needy with regards to material possessions or things in your life. You have a great need. You are poor in spirit. Apart from God, stuck in sin, we are in great need of God's justice, his righteousness, and ultimately that a king would deliver his people. Why? See, the, what God's implying here and displaying to us is that we as people are in need of rescue. We are the ones who are in need of the rescue of God. Why? Think about this. All right, let me think about this. What does justice really mean? What is righteousness truly pointing towards? Well, it's the idea that God will give people what they deserve. That's justice, isn't it? Right? When, when you cut me off on 240, I want justice, which means I want you to get what you deserve. That's why we watch the courtroom shows. We want them to get what they deserve. Now, that's a great, that's a great thing, right? Yay, justice. Until we're the ones who are going to get what they deserve. Uh-oh. See, the idea of the king bringing justice sounds great if you think you're innocent. But what if you're the guilty one? What if you're the guilty subject of a righteous king? Right, all of a sudden now we want, oh, justice is great and all, but how about some mercy in there too? See, what, what, we're, what we need to understand is that because of sin, we are not innocent people. We are guilty people, and if God was really going to be just and righteous towards us, what do we deserve? We deserve punishment. We deserve death. See, that's what just means. So the question is, so the, okay, so the question is, if, and I hope everyone in the room is in agreement that we all, that if you think you're perfect in the room, I'd, I'd encourage you to stick around after church. Um, I would love to point out to you how you're not. But let's just say this morning that we all understand that the Bible speaks to the fact that there's not a single person in this entire room who is righteous in and of themselves. Right? Every single person in the room has rebelled against God. And if that is true, which it is, then what we all deserve in the room is the justice of God, which would be him to punish 
anyone who has rebelled against him as the rightful king. That's what we deserve. But notice there's a promise in verse 4 that the righteous king who God provides will do what? He will deliver the poor. He'll deliver the needy. So there's an idea there that, that the righteous king brings about some type of rescue or deliverance to the people, which, by the way, all of us in the room need if we are all rebels against God. And so how does a just God allow guilty people to be spared? How does a just God deliver guilty people? Because if we're all guilty in the room, that's what we should really be asking. How could God allow us to be rescued from our sin if he's just and righteous? He is. Price still has to be paid, doesn't it? See, God promises that the righteous king will defend the cause of the poor of the people, verse 4, and give deliverance to the children of the needy and do what? Crush the oppressor, the one who is unjust and unrighteous towards his people. Uh-oh. You know that word crush? It's a word that means to bruise. I wonder if there's any other part of the Bible where there's a discussion about bruising or crushing so that someone might be delivered. Does anybody know anything offhand? True. That's the promise. Does anybody know if there's a, oh, let's say, a prophet in the Old Testament whose name started with an I, who wrote about crushing and bruising? Isaiah, thank you so much, Miss Lisa. Does anybody know what chapter of Isaiah would deal with the idea of someone being bruised or crushed to set guilty people free? 50-something, we're getting there. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, right? Grab your Bible. Isaiah 53. Listen, I want to make this connection for you because it is really the reason why we prepare to celebrate Christmas. Because this is the beautiful gift that God gives. It ain't wrapped up in a cute little present underneath your tree. Instead, it's given on a cross over 2,000 years ago. And that promise was made all the way back before Jesus ever stepped foot on the earth. In the idea that the psalmist said, oh God, give a king your, your, your justice and your righteousness. Let him rule with peace and let him deliver the needy. Isaiah 53, Isaiah writes 750-some years before Jesus would ever step foot on the earth. And we're told that in Isaiah 53, there was a promise of God. Do you know what the promise of God was? He was going to send a king. Uh-oh. Sounds like Psalm 72. God promised that he was going to send a king but this king wouldn't step up onto an earthly throne. This king was going to come and he was going to die. Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us and, who, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, 
and no beauty that we should desire him. This is Jesus, by the way. Just so you know, and I'll, I'll move on, never mind. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring and he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. We're told here of a king, the Messiah, prophesied that he would arrive and that this king was going to give himself up for his people. And the way he was going to deliver the needy, the way he was going to rescue the poor, was he was going to take on himself the punishment for their iniquity. How can a just and righteous God show any mercy towards rebels like us? Well, it's because the king delivers by taking the place of the guilty. That Jesus is treated as the guilty party so that we might be forgiven. Price has to be paid, right, Mike? And Jesus paid it. How did he do it? He was crushed. He was bruised so that we could be healed. Does anyone notice that in Psalm 72, there's a talk of justice being brought to those who are oppressed? And then here, on numerous occasions, we see it hinted at and, and, and stated that Jesus would be oppressed in our place. That he walked forward and he took upon himself the oppression of the enemies. See, the beautiful news 
is that how can God be just and how can he be righteous and still show mercy to people like us? It's not because God just says, well, it's not a big deal. Try not to do it again. That's not a just God. That's not a righteous God who would belittle sin and act like it's not a big deal. But a righteous judge can let people go free if someone else takes the punishment for their sin. And what Jesus did is he was a totally different king than all the ones that came before him because where they all failed and where they all were selfish and they all desired their own way, Jesus would come and he would perfectly live out the will of the Father. He would be perfectly righteous, perfectly just, so that he could finally rescue the people of God the way God had promised throughout all the generations. See, the problem in Psalm 72 is David, I believe, is praying for his son that he would be righteous and he would be just towards the people of God. And Solomon was for a little bit, but guess what happened? Solomon stopped being righteous, and he stopped being just towards the people of God. And there was a failure, and a failure, and a failure, and a failure. And there looked like that was going to continue on forever. But Isaiah had already prophesied there's coming a day when the righteous king will lay down his life for his people. He will be just, he will be righteous, and he will deliver his people where everyone else failed. Jesus would secure the rescue of his people by taking it on himself. That's a just king. That's a righteous king who serves for the benefit and blessing of the people of God. See, Jesus laid down his life so that we could have Psalm 72 be real for us. See, the reason why God deserves so much glory and praise this morning is because while we didn't deserve this, he provides it by his good and gracious hand. He truly does show mercy to those who are in desperate need of that mercy. The righteous king will deliver his people from the oppressor, and he does it by crushing the head of the serpent himself by dying on the cross and rising again from the dead. And he does it by delivering his people through his own agony and suffering. He was crushed so that the oppressor might be crushed. And this is why only Jesus can save you. This is why no one else can rescue you. In a world that is calling out to you that there are other rescuers available. There is only one person who took your sin. There's only one person who could die on the cross in your place. There was only one righteous and just king who could deliver. And it's Jesus alone. No other person has or will ever do what Jesus has already done. That's why you don't need Muhammad. That's why you don't need Joseph Smith. And that's why you don't need the false prosperity gospel of Joel Steen. There is only one king, and he died so that we might be delivered. And listen, that doesn't mean you're getting a big check in the mail tomorrow. That doesn't mean your poor and your needy days are over. What it means is that you have been spiritually rescued by God so that no matter what happens in this life, 
you know you've been delivered by the king. And you know when you stand before him, you will be welcomed as a child of his. No longer an enemy, but a dear child of his own family. That's what Jesus alone does. And so this morning, you don't need to fight for your own justice. You don't need to fight to get vengeance for yourself. And oh, how I need to be reminded of this every day. We don't need to fight for our own justice because God himself says he is the righteous and just God who will ultimately vindicate his people. He will set right that which is wrong and he will bring rescue to those who are in desperate need. Only Jesus can do this. And how do I know that Psalm 72 is talking about a king to come after Solomon? I'm going to cheat real quick and go to verse 5. I believe David writes, may they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. Hate to break it to you, but Solomon didn't live forever. He died. If there's going to be one who the people fear while the sun endures. How long is the sun going to endure? Oh, baby. How long is the moon? Long time. How limited is throughout all generations? See, what David is pointing to is not simply his son, although he calls down the favor of God to bring justice to his son. But David has in mind a greater king who would rule on the throne of David for all time, for as long as the moon endures, the sun endures for throughout all generations. See, even the psalmist had in mind that what they needed was the Messiah, the king, the one who would finally rescue his people. This morning, I can bring you no better gift than to let you know that you're in desperate need of rescue because everybody in the room has rebelled and sinned against God. We all deserve punishment. We deserve death. We deserve to be separated from God's love and mercy. We deserve that. But God is rich in grace and mercy. And he sent his own son, Jesus, to die on the cross. He was crushed so that our iniquities could be paid for. He was bruised so that our sins might be forgiven. He had stripes because he was forgiving our trespasses. And what God calls us to do in light of the death and resurrection of Jesus is there are only two responses you can either reject Christ or you can repent and trust in him alone. To believe that his death is the only thing that can rescue you from the justice of God for our sin. That there's no other person that can bring that to you and you can't do it yourself. You need Jesus this morning. And Christians in the room, I need you to remember this morning that if there's going to be any justice in this world, it's going to be brought by the just king. And we need him 
more than anything else in this world. And so we as Christians should be the ones trumpeting the righteousness of our king and the justice that he will bring because everyone's looking for it. But there's only one who can deliver it. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so this morning, may we as Christians see we don't have to get our own justice. We have a righteous king who one day will vindicate us before his very throne. Oh, that's good news. And that's what only Jesus can bring. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be building up to our celebration of Jesus' being born in a manger. But let us not forget that before Jesus ever arrived as a baby in a manger, he is the eternal king of all glory. But that's the price he was willing to pay for us. I hope you'll join us as we celebrate Advent this year. I hope you'll join us as we get ready every single week with more and more anticipation of celebrating the fact that one day Jesus came and he came so that he might be the king that we've been longing for. Oh, that's good news this morning to know that our king has come and has rescued us. If you're a Christian this morning, sing that to the rooftops. And if you're not a Christian this morning, bow the knee to King Jesus, the one who is just and righteous. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I love you. I thank you for your word that shows us again that you are the just king. And Father, while we are clamoring for our own justice and our own vindication, Father, we know what we need more than anything is rescue from the depths of our sin. That God, we do deserve punishment. We deserve your wrath poured out against our sin. But God, you are great in mercy. You are slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And we as Christians in the room are able to testify to this fact. That God, while we deserved your punishment, God, you instead brought forgiveness and deliverance by your hand. And Father, I pray this morning that you would help us to give you praise for that. And Father, I pray this morning for anyone who's in this room who has not trusted in Jesus, God, that they would see this morning their desperate need, that they are sinners in need of rescue, and that Jesus alone is the one who pays the penalty for our sin. And Father, may they turn to him. May they, God, I pray you'll draw them to yourself. They would see their desperate need for you and repent. Oh, Father, this morning I pray that as we get ready to celebrate the birth of your son, Father, I pray that you'll help us to see that Jesus has always been and always will be. That he is the king of all creation and may we lift up his name this season. And Father, we thank you that you are just, you are righteous, and you are merciful to us this morning. May you rescue souls today and God, may you cause your people to rejoice in your justice. I ask you to work among us, God, that as we respond to you, you'd receive more honor and more praise. I ask it in the precious, beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.